Holy cow, 30 episodes. 30! We are in our 30s! I am, uh, I'm pumped and I'm excited. Uh, Industry Town has passed its quarter-life crisis and is landing firmly in adulthood. 30 episodes. Um, if you've been with us from the beginning, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you're new to the tribe, uh, welcome. I hope you're digging it. And speaking of, uh, welcome back to the Industry Town podcast presented by John Rosenfeld Studios. Today, we are going to do some book learning. We are going to talk business, money, and taxes. Uh, so yeah, maybe take out a notebook or a pocket protector, uh, clean off your glasses, <laughs> and let's uh, get to it. Today's guest is Stephen Shapiro. He is a partner and founder of Summit Business Management. Uh, Stephen handles business management, accounting, and taxation for clients in the entertainment industry and the world of professional sports. Uh, some notable clients include Weird Al Yankovic, Aaron Paul, and yours truly. Stephen and I have worked together for about seven years, and he was so kind to come on the show. Uh, you know, we're getting close to tax time, and so I thought the first episode of March was a perfect time to have him on the show. Uh, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. He had me over to his office. We had a great time. Uh, we talked about the new tax laws uh, and how that affects actor taxes. We talked about LLCs and corporations, unemployment insurance, uh, and the new uh, labor law, AB5, that affects independent contractors. So we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. I really enjoyed it. I learned a ton, and I think you will too. Um, yeah, and if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to send them to me at industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. I'll pass them on to Stephen and uh, share the answers on the podcast. So enough of the chit-chat. Let's cue the opening music, and uh, let's get to Stephen. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Welcome to Industry Town, Stephen Shapiro. Nice meeting you all. Good to see you again, Brian, as always. So uh, for those of you who are uh, tuning into the episode, Stephen is my business manager at Summit Business Management. We've probably been working together for, I want to oh say, seven years? Yes, at least. Something like that. Absolutely. Um, Right around that time, I booked an awesome voiceover job as the national campaign voice for Wendy's, and I had something that I wish for every single person listening, where all of a sudden, a lot of checks started to come in, <laughs> way more than I had ever really experienced before. It was an amount of money that I would love to have again. And um, But then all of a sudden, you start wondering, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I handle the taxes on it, the accounting, the paperwork? Um, how do I not spend it all? Like an idiot. Yeah, absolutely. And that was when I got recommended through my management at the time to you guys. Yeah, that's and, correct. And it's been a really good relationship since Wonderful. then. So I thought I would have you on, Stephen, to first just talk about what is it that a business manager does? It's a good question. And as you know, a business manager is more of an industry term for the entertainment industry. By and large, and for the most part, we are an accountant. We're an accountant for people who specialize within the entertainment industry. One thing a business manager needs that sets us apart from traditional accountants is the fact that not only should we be well-versed in financial statement analysis and finances, as well as taxation, but a good business manager is well-versed within the real estate markets, insurance, the financial markets, and everything else in general, because that's what clients look for, especially real estate. I handle 
handle real estate transactions not only for my business management-based clients, but for also clients who are accounting-based, where we don't handle their day-to-day finances, but I still advise feverishly when it comes to buying and selling their homes because I have to represent them as their alter ego. I don't have a financial interest when they buy and sell property like their realtor does, for instance. So I want to be the alter ego. I want to basically be the person looking over their shoulder to make sure the transaction is properly being handled. That's another example of what a good business manager should be doing. So have you had to uh, keep a number of clients from making terrible decisions? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I have clients who always spend the first 10 minutes of the conversation telling me it's their dream house and they have to have it. And when a client tells me that they want to buy a $10 million home, I let them know that it's going to cost $50,000 a month in general for them to maintain that type of a home. Oh, my God. And it's important because when it's costing $50,000 a month, to maintain a property, you've got to make close to 120000 a month before taxes and commissions to be able to net the $50,000 a month that it's going to cost. So these are very important aspects that clients have to understand. Uh, there are times when clients are in the process of buying homes and during the inspection phase, for instance, we ascertain that there were structures that were unpermitted. So I always let a client know that if you want to go forward with the transaction, you're buying a problem because when you sell the property, this also needs to be disclosed. Also, a bank is not going to lend you money based on an unpermitted structure. They don't include that in the square footage. So it could severely impact the loan process as well. So all these little aspects are important that I try to not only educate clients on, but advise them on whether or not it's a good idea to go forward. So your job is to be good at all of the things that people who might be listening to this podcast who are thinking, oh my God, I haven't ever really thought about a permitted structure to a house. I haven't really thought about a savings account. I haven't thought about some of those things. Your job is to basically do our homework for us. Precisely. You think with your heart, which is what you're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to be your brain behind this. And that's important. And the best thing I offer to clients is it's free advice. Because even my accounting-based clients, I don't charge them for this type of advice. Mm -hmm. I don't bill them for these services. Because generally, it just involves me looking over some and just talking on the phone and just giving them the advice on how to even deal with a realtor who even though their realtor is supposed to represent their interests there's always a financial interest the realtor has and therefore in my opinion there's always a conflict involved yeah and ostensibly that's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily refer a lot of type of uh, various professionals to clients because I don't have a proprietary interest myself sure Uh, but if I do I expect the same services if they would provide to me Cool. So let's uh, let's do a couple things here. First, I'm looking around the office here, and the most uh, clear, striking thing that I see is one, two, three, four, five different framed posters from Variety, congratulating you as a I, I guess it's an executive as a, a business, business manager, manager elite business exactly. manager elite. So and I like admit on the there's Avengers. two that aren't shown right now because we still haven't framed another two from okay, the last so couple of years. Lucky so. number seven. <laughs> I like that. So basically, you're on the like Avengers of business managers. I'm very lucky to have been chosen, yes. What does that mean? How does Variety find out about you, and what does it mean for you to be one of these people? Generally speaking, when they first did it in 2012, there were only about 20 
that they were honoring. And it was quite an honor, obviously, because I was chosen, I was interviewed. They didn't ex- uh, explicitly describe their selection process, okay. but they made it very clear that you're pretty well known and you're pretty well respected. And I noticed over the last several years, I've always been chosen as well. And what's kind of ironic to me is I'm seeing more faces and more names that um, I, uh, it's, it's nice to have them honored as well. And others that I have actually joked with Variety and said, really, these people? I'm surprised. So, <laughs> the politics are happening. But nonetheless, right yeah. But it is a great honor. There's no question. So that just means that you have a wide variety of clients throughout the entertainment industry. And so when Variety is saying, who should I be hiring for a business manager? What company should I be looking at? Your name, your company kind of keep coming up again and again. Precisely. Very lucky. I were, I'm about uh, 500 clients now. I have about 100 business management-based clients and uh, over 400 accounting-based clients, uh, which means we don't handle their day-to-day, but uh, they're all entertainment individuals. They Mm -hmm. usually have loan-out corporations, uh, such as yourself, Mm -hmm. and these are corporations which we can get into, which are more conducive for the entertainment professional. So we're going to get into that, but let's start... Let's start with less money than that. You were saying mm-hmm. earlier, if we're talking about a house that costs 50000 a month, there are a lot of people I know in this industry who are making 50000 a year. Precisely. In fact, a vast majority are making that area. A vast majority. So in terms of advice or, or ways that people who are, who are scrapping together that kind of money for the year, what... What are things that they should be doing to be thinking also for the future when they don't necessarily have tons of extra cash to just be uh, investing in stocks or buying that house? It's an excellent question. An excellent question. One thing I always inform clients is that they work in the most unstable industry that's out there, which means you could make your first money. A great TV show that comes about. You get some nice, you know, 22 episodes. And what if the show doesn't get renewed? Mm -hmm. So I always let clients know you're not working for IBM where you're bringing home the same paycheck week in, week out, all year, and then each year going forward. You work in an industry where you could work and make a million dollars one year and nothing for the next two years. Consequently, I mean, you're, you're averaging $333,000 over three years, but there's no guarantee of tomorrow. So it's important that whatever money you do make, you set aside as much as possible, not necessarily for tax, but for subsistence, for living. And that's very important. So what's vital is that clients understand there's no guarantee for future earnings. Mm-hmm. And that is important. I always let clients know um, when it comes to considering a retirement contribution at the end of their corporate year, which is usually December in most cases, I always indicate to clients, how will the next year be? If we don't have enough money now set aside to make that retirement contribution, perhaps we should forego it. Unless we know you're getting renewed for the next season or the next cycle, or you've got another production coming up for which we know there's gonna be money to finance. What's important is that money that you make, there's be not only, you know, you're losing on average 20% to your representatives, but you've got silent partners in the IRS and the Franchise Tax Board. You know, the government wants their piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And consequently, you're gonna lose on average about 50% of what you take home um, 
after commissions between taxes and, and also your own corporate expenses. So it's important to know what's going to be in the future and take the position that we don't know what tomorrow's going to be because that's, the, that's just the basic trait of working within the entertainment industry. So it's expecting to only take home about 30% of maybe what your gross on a job is going to be in the first place, having that expectation. Precisely. In many cases, that's that's the instance I use. Um, I have a lot of clients who are in 25% commission structures. I have a lot of young talent as well, for instance. So young talent is going to lose 15% of what they make to the Coogan account. Mm -hmm. The Coogan account was established to protect young people under 18 years old to have that money set aside. What's interesting is that they pay taxes on that 15% that set aside. So consequently, when they turn 18, that money is then released to them, but it's tax-free because it's already been taxed anyway. Okay. And at that point, they, they're free to do what they want with it. I'm going to move your mic just a little yeah. bit closer. Oh, sure. Just to make sure we're getting everything that Absolutely. we um, So is the best advice for people who are in that phase where they are, you know, they're scrapping, they're hustling for their first auditions, and they're not making a ton at this moment is... Is the best advice just live with the lowest overhead possible so that way yes. you are able to actually set aside some of this money? That's exactly right. Because what it does is it, it, you don't want an impediment on your creativity. If you're spending every dollar you make, if you have to spend every dollar you make and subsist in that respect, that's understandable. But try to save as much as you can so you can concentrate more on your career. Mm -hmm. If one has to take an auxiliary position, for instance, working in another industry, that takes away your time and it takes away your energy as well as your creativity. So it's important that you're willing to work as hard as you can to maintain the ability to always be able to thrive within the industry, so to speak. Yeah, it's a tough position to be in because I, Lord knows I've done some of these things myself, but so many actors try to get jobs that allow for flexibility. Precisely. That allow for them to be able to leave for that audition. But then, I mean, just speaking plainly, a lot of the time you're barely making ends meet. You feel poor. You don't feel like you can invest in your headshots or your demo reel mm -hmm. or that acting class or that press release you want to get. And so then you're working this job that doesn't make you feel good in order to have flexibility for a career you can't afford. Absolutely. So I feel like the, the, the real sweet spot for a lot of people is actually figuring out something that maybe has slightly less flexibility but allows for a certain baseline of living where you can actually invest in a career with some level of consistency. That's a good point. And what makes it more difficult is living, for instance, in Los Angeles mm -hmm. because rents are high here and it's just a higher standard of living in general. So in, for, and in, in as much as there's enough... Uh, uh, challenge in terms of trying to make ends meet. Uh, there's a lot of positions available that, and some are even offering more and more flexibility. I'm even seeing that within the business management industry. Some of my colleagues who run their own firms as well, who are now offering that to their own employees who want to start families or who do have families along those lines. But there are some industry people that when they're working in auxiliary positions, unfortunately, they don't have that luxury either. Sure. So it is important either way. In many cases, uh, I find that family members help, you know, or become benefactors mm -hmm. to my own clients. Um, they assist them in gifting money for down payments of homes, as well as financing their own careers, sure. knowing that it's just going to take time. I do think that there's been a couple changes in the industry that actually make it more in a new actor's favor, which is that in-person auditions are down, 
I would guess, 80 to 90%. Mm-hmm. The world is now all self-tapes. Yes. And most of those self-tapes are due either by, you know, 5 p.m. close of business or by 10 a.m. when they open. Right. Which means that if you are working a slightly more traditional job, if you have that self-tape set up at home, you're going to be able to do that audition mm-hmm. without needing to, like, excuse me, boss, I got to go. I exactly. got to step out. I promise <laughs> I'm going to go. Don't yell at me. Exactly. It's much easier to pull that off. But the flip side is you got to be able to afford the self-tape setup. Precise. That's a good point. And the space <laughs> to do the it. irony. So it's more accommodating, mm-hmm. the industry. On the other hand, it costs money to go ahead and, and get that setup going. Yeah. It's a very good point. When people move out here and they're asking for advice now, one of the first things I tell them is that... Uh, Get a get a better job than you think you need. That's a very it's great advice. Absolutely. If, if you just if you have some stability and some income, you might be able to, you know, figure it out for five or ten years, mm-hmm. and then there's not that pressure of like, well, God, I have three months until I have to go back to Tucson. That's right. And it's <laughs> that's just not really how it works. No. Um, tell Yet me. that's how people, unfortunately, they'll set their their standards that way, or they'll you know try to reach certain goals at a certain point in time, mm-hmm. and if they're not met. You know, listen, at that point, it's up to you to determine what you want to do. But we already know that not everything takes place in Los Angeles anymore as well. Mm-hmm. Production is all over the world. Sure. Much more than it ever was. Yeah. So tell me, we I feel like a lot of people know that the tax laws were changed in the last, uh, in, I want to say like a year and a half ago. Yes, January 1st, 2018. So I feel like we all, uh, all of us actors and anyone in the gig economy needs to maybe uh, pour themselves a stiff drink as they listen to this. <laughs> but let's have a real conversation about how did that change for people who are not in a corporation mm-hmm. yet? Um, people who are getting W-2s and I-9s, so there's employees and independent contractors. What changed? Absolutely. It's a very good question. And I'm going to give a very succinct answer. Okay. In the old days, if you made a dollar and you took home 80 cents because you lost 20 cents in commissions. Sure. You paid tax on 80 cents, plain and simple. This is assuming no corporation. This is assuming you're earning as a W-2 wage earner, a direct hire. So it was great, you paid tax on 80 cents. The new tax laws, which went into effect in 2018, now basically say if you make a dollar and take home 80 cents, you pay tax on the dollar. It's that simple. So on the other side, your representatives are paying tax on the 20 cents they're collecting, and you're paying tax on the dollar you collected, or were paid gross, so the government is collecting tax revenue on $1.20, where the talent is taking home 80 cents. Is that just? No. Because what they did is they eliminated the ability for anyone who's an employee to write off any business expenses. And that includes commissions, which is the most prominent of business expenses when it comes to the entertainment industry. What are the other kind of write-offs that people used to be able to write off on their taxes and now they can't? For instance, research, headshots. If you're in front of the camera, wardrobe, uh, production-based expenses, uh, equipment, for instance. Mainly, your dues. Mm-hmm. Union dues. Yep. Union dues is a big uh, a big component. What about acting class? Acting class, professional development, all of those items used to be deductible are no longer deductible at all. Absence of a corporation. If you do have a loan-out corporation or the corporation that's traditionally used within the entertainment industry, those deductions become available once again. So I want to get to corporations in a second because I think that's a whole can of worms I'm really excited to get into. But just kind of wrapping up this this pre-corporation discussion here, mm-hmm. I think it's important 
because I don't know how much people are paying attention to how the tax laws change and how the representatives are voting on this or not. But if you are an actor without a corporation, I think it's important to recognize that you are paying a lot more in taxes than you used to. That's correct. And that there are fewer in-person auditions that there used to be. And so one of the best things you can be doing for your career is figuring out a better stream of income for yourself because everything costs more than it did for everyone before you. That's exactly right. But you still got to invest in all that stuff. You still got to be in class. You still got to have good headshots. That's right. There are more online profiles that you've ever had than ever before. You've got to invest in that self-tape setup. So figuring out some way where money maybe isn't the easiest thing in your life, but is not the biggest stressor, mm-hmm. I think is really important. And uh, I've noticed some people are starting to do things like... Um, Rather than living in a crappy apartment on their own, they're finding seven friends and living in a nice house that they're <laughs> renting. And all of a sudden, they, they feel a little bit better about their space. They have people who they can pool those types of resources mm-hmm. together with. And uh, that kind of group communal living, I feel like, is actually kind of a, a nice life hack for if you're just starting out and need to... Uh, figure out a way to financially get by. It's a good point. And I think it also enhances your own creativity because you're, you know, it makes you, it creates more esteem. It has a better self-awareness and everything else. I think it just makes you feel better about life in general. And that is a big plus. Obviously, as you know better than anybody, that's important in the entertainment industry is your focus. It's your perspective. It's everything along those lines. So uh, there's a step kind of between uh, being a sole proprietor and a corporation that I, I know doesn't really have tax benefits, but I just want to hit it just so people, if they've heard this idea, mm-hmm. what is an LLC? Absolutely. An LLC is the same as a corporation. Generally speaking, if you have a LLC where you are the only, what they call member or owner. And it stands for limited liability company. Corporation. corporation. Exactly. Or a limited liability company, exactly. A lot of LLCs can become corporations, and by doing so, you can just do a simple form with the IRS Mm -hmm. and elect to be an S corporation. It's that simple. What's interesting in the entertainment industry is studios and production companies will not pay talent as an LLC. They require them to be either a C or an S corporation. So in many instances, I take on a new client Mm -hmm. who comes to me and says, well, I have an LLC, which has since been converted to an S corp. And I said, it's because production told you they're not going to pay you. And that's the case. Why won't they? It's, It's more for legal reasons. Ostensibly, usually an LLC exists for the purpose of a movie production. Because LLCs take on more members, and there's more latitude with people investing within LLCs as opposed to corporations. Okay. So they like to define the difference between talent and production. So they want talent to have a traditional corporation, which will be either a C or an S corporation. And when it comes to movie production, that is more reserved for the LLC because you have a lot of people investing and people come and go. And the way the tax structure is for an LLC, it's easier to do to make those changes in an LLC than it is for a corporation. And that's why they like to have that definition. So the people who are going to want LLCs who might be listening to this are people who might be making an independent film. Precisely. People who might have a web series, something like that. Uh, what is the benefit of having an LLC? The benefit traditionally is the fact that you have limited liability. So if something, God forbid, were to go wrong, your liability is only up to the amount of money that you have within the corporation or the LLC itself. The LLC is designed to protect you from creditors and anyone else. So people can't go after you 
personally if God forbid something were to happen. So if you and I are making a web series together, we're shooting it in this office. I'm looking at that. Uh, what is that sculpture over there? Interesting, it's, isn't it? Uh, my my mother-in-law, yeah, uh, Barbara Blanchard, sure. got that for me in Israel, believe it or not. She thought it was, um, it looked like uh, actually a menorah. But the truth of the matter is it actually represents the entertainment industry as opposed say, to represent like, film. Like it looks like the strip of film right yes. there. And then kind of... It's exactly, it's an artist that was uh, in, in Israel, and I believe in uh, Tel Aviv when they were there, and the uh, the top part actually turns around, it rotates, and it lights up. So, so it's pretty nice, actually. I might actually take a picture of it before I leave and post it so we can see what we're talking about. But let's say we're making this web series together, right? Mm-hmm. We're having a really fun time, and then, um, I, you know, I impale myself on that. <laughs> Right? That's a good okay. point. Because <laughs> um, it's sharp. And you wouldn't be the first either, to be honest with you. So. Well, this is, I hope you have an LLC then. Um, so the whole point is if we didn't have our LLC, and I, well, uh, I guess in this case I'm part of it. Let's say we had a crew member, a sound op. Right. He impaled himself or she impaled herself on this beautiful sculpture. <laughs> She'd be able to sue us. Yes. She'd be able to sue us. And if uh, if I didn't have any money, I just had... I just had my house. That's mm-hmm. it. She'd be able to sue me, and my house would be the thing that she could actually collect on. Right? That's a good question. Actually, no, because okay. the LLC is what the production is based. Well, let's say on. we don't have. The oh, LLC. don't have We're absence of an LLC. Then yes, she's you are coming ex- for any assets. That's I correct. Have, she right? will try to sue you in civil court to try to get as much as she possibly can out of you. So if you do not have an LLC on your project, you, if you are in charge of that thing, you are the person who can be sued. And if you do not have that protection of the LLC, they're going to come after your assets. If you own a car, that's where they're going to be able to collect some of it. Whatever assets you have, absolutely, those are at risk. So with an LLC, there's like a shield. That's correct. Between your personal life that's right. And anyone coming after you. So if our sound op impales mm-hmm. herself on this beautiful statue no from question. Tel Aviv, um, they can now sue the LLC that we have uh, for our web series. Absolutely. And they could come after the budget for the web series, potentially, or any profits that mm-hmm. it might get. But they can't come after me personally. That's correct. They will do everything they can to get as much as they can from you. Obviously, one thing you'll probably have as well when it comes to production is you'll have production-based insurance that'll mm-hmm. protect that worker's comp along those lines. And then you'll have to wonder, what was the sound person doing? Were they uh, were they taking enormous risks themselves, or were they just completely innocent and something was just in the way? I feel so, like a lawyer just came yeah, out of absolutely. the room. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like and a good lawyer is going to try to prove that that sound person tried to create this mess, <laughs> which created the impalement, so to speak. Okay. So how do I start an LLC if I if I am if I am all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I am making this web series mm-hmm. and I and I, I don't want them to take my car. Um a good question. How do I start one? There's two ways of doing it. A lot of times we have clients who will approach me and say, What do I do? And I'll say, You have a choice. You can go create your own through online, you know, legalzoom.com, or we use the services of an incorporator who actually handles everything for us from soup to nuts. And for a flat fee, we go ahead and deal, and we facilitate with the incorporator, and then the corp is set up. Depending on the time frame, there are mm-hmm. times when the time frame is such that a production's taking place, they need to get the articles of incorporation, this document that shows they actually exist as a corp or an LLC, and we'll, uh, based on that, we can go ahead and accommodate anything from 24 to 48 hours or usually the state of California takes about two to three weeks to get the corporation or LLC set up at this point. So if if I'm 
I'm not rolling in money right now and I just want to do this as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. LegalZoom is probably the most like direct and easy way. That's but correct. if I want to be able to interface more with somebody um, and have more help in uh, walking myself through it and make sure I understand the ins and outs, that's where your That's where we services. use the incorporator. But we'll actually be the facilitators there. The incorporator will just do the work for us. We're the ones that basically handle everything for the client, including okay. setting up a bank account, um, getting their S election accommodated, uh, and their what they call statement of information. There's a lot of compliance that's necessary when you set up a corporate structure or an LLC structure that we handle for clients as well. And you'd have to do that all in LegalZoom yourself if... Uh, that's correct. Yeah. They basically send you paperwork. They... They want you to sign it, fill out some stuff, and it gets a little confusing, I yeah. admit. It's a l- less expensive process, but it's a little more confusing. Yeah, I feel like that's what you're, that's, you know, if you're not going to spend that money, you get a little bit less help. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about corporations. Um, when I first met you, I felt like there was a kind of, uh, you want to be making a certain amount of money for it to be worth your while. Correct. And I'm sure that there's different opinions on that. By and large, but at the time, it seemed like if you're going to make six figures of any kind, you definitely want a corporation Mm -hmm. by that point. Um, Has that changed with the new tax law? Would you say that that number is now lower? Yes, that's exactly right, Brian. The number is lower. At this point, a lot of times I'll say to clients, if you're making in the $100,000 range, it might be a good opportunity to start a corporation. The reason why is because even though one gets... um, a standard deduction, we still find that the tax savings is greater Mm -hmm. having this corporate entity set up, to be honest with you. It makes a lot more sense. Also, a question I traditionally ask is, how is your career going? Are you starting to gain momentum? I could easily ascertain that from the agent or the manager, Mm -hmm. because what's important is that when a client usually comes to me, ready to set up a corporation, a brand new client, it means they already have the momentum necessary in their career. So the time is such, it's important. Because, if, and also, studios and production companies do not want you to set up a corporation mid-cycle or mid-season. You signed a contract in your name individually for a particular season, that has to be paid as a W-2, as a direct hire. You can't change it midstream. Not midstream, but you can change it for the following or subsequent season. They were, they usually will accommodate along those lines. And it's rare, but once in a while, I have a client who's told by their agent, go ahead and set up the corp, they'll accommodate, and all of a sudden, production says, no, we can't accommodate. So now you're sitting with a corporation you can't use. But unfortunately, some clients are making two, $300,000 a year being paid as a direct hire, and they can't write off any of those expenses. Ooh. It's tragic. So what would you say is the kind of minimum, the floor amount you'd want to be making to look into a corporation now? At this point, I use $100,000. Yeah, okay. especially, and I also look at the commission structure, which generally could be 10 to 20%. So under those circumstances, I always argue it's a good time to incorporate and let's get the ball rolling because more than likely they'll start seeing other money as well and therefore it adds into the corporation. And so what does it mean for me to have a corporation? What does that what does that like uh, legally mean? What does that mean in terms of how I am viewed as an employee? What, what does that mean in terms of how production views me? Another good question. Basically, you now have a new entity in your life to nurture. Okay. So, you know, you're used to filing your individual tax returns, a 1040, a 540. When you have a corporation, there's new compliance that has to be considered. You have to file a corporate tax return. You have to file a city of LA business license if you're working within the city. You have to maintain that corporation every year. The state of California requires requires that every corporation 
and LLC and every limited partnership, for instance, is to pay $800 a year minimum just for the right to maintain that company. It's called a franchise tax. Once you make a certain amount of money over that amount, then you start paying an income tax. But that's something we don't have to necessarily worry about right now. The bottom line is the process of, of closing a corporation every year is such that we make sure clients are only paying the minimum of $800. But that's the way it would generally work having that type of a structure. Uh, and that entity has to be nurtured every year. If you don't pay the $800, the state will come after you and they will find a bank account and they will levy it and they will draw the money for you. They didn't do that in the past, but it doesn't take the state of California long to do that at this point. They're getting very good at it. They're getting very astute in communicating with other municipalities mm -hmm. and other agencies to say, hey, is this person doing this? Is this person doing that? Or is this corp doing this? Is this corp doing that? So it is important once you set up a corporation, you maintain it. There used to be a time in California you could abandon a corporation, just walk away from it like it never existed existed and eventually they California would get get the you know idea that you're not having anymore they don't do that anymore any client that wants to go through a formal uh, basically wants to discontinue using a corp we have to go through a formal dissolution process it doesn't cost a lot of money but it basically eliminates any future notification from the state and that's important well I got to be honest right now it's not sounding very attractive. Right now it sounds like I made $100,000 and now I'm I'm investing in something or, or setting up something where I have to file more taxes and and the and the state's coming after me. That's true. So uh, let's talk the benefits here. Let's yeah. talk about what is good about having a corporation. It's good. And I will I must admit having a corp not only costs money to set up a corp, it costs money to maintain a corporation, but the corporation now allows you and affords you the ability to write off expenses that you cannot do if you're a direct higher earning just a W-2 wage. So therefore, we'll use the $1 as an example again. Sure. You make a dollar, you lose 20 cents in commissions, you've got 80 cents left over. Now you've got dues, you've got research, you've got some travel, you've got uh, headshots, mm -hmm. you've got uh, acting coaches, mm -hmm. all of those expenses. Let's say there's another 50, 50 cents in expenses. So now you're left with, let's say 30, let's say for the sake of it, 30 cents of profit left over. Now you're paying tax on 30 cents as opposed to paying tax on a dollar. So that 70 cents mm -hmm. has gone to commissions and it's gone to expenses. So that's the true benefit of having a corporation. So let's assume you're in a 30% bracket. You're going to pay nine cents in tax versus if you were in a 50, let's say you were in a 40% bracket without the corporation, you're going to pay 40 cents. So you can see there's a significant tax. 31 savings. cents. Absolutely. That makes a big difference. Multiply that times several hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you can then see the real necessity of establishing a corporation. One thing I like about how you just broke that down is I do think it's hard for, there are not a lot of artists who have been to business school or, or have a lot of experience with that. And so I think there's a belief that, you know, I, I book this guest star, they pay me some money and that that's it. I made that money. Mm -hmm. But really, you are a business. You are a business that has multiple employees in it. One of your employees is your acting teacher. One of your employees is printing your headshots. One of your employees is your actor's access account. And you, the actor, are one of those employees who's getting paid out from Precisely. that. But really, the actor is a larger business with a lot of expenses. And so when you do get paid, you can't just think, that all goes into my personal account, and it's just that clean. Absolutely. It would be, be nice. more expenses than other places. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, my guess is for what you do for a living, you 
the company has all sorts of uh, employees and expenses and whatnot, but you personally do not uh, encounter a lot of extra expenses for your job the way an actor does. You're not paying for your own personal headshots and a coach to work with you on every single client, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's exactly right. It's a very good point. And as you mentioned, when you set up a corporation, it is your corporation of which you generally are the sole employee. Look at it this way. Before you had the corp, you worked for a studio. Yeah. The studio paid you and they withheld taxes, and then they paid it to the government. Yeah. Same holds true with your own corporation. Mm-hmm. You're going to earn certain money, forgive me for the, uh, the phone ring. I'm Do gonna, you need to grab no, it? No, I'm gonna okay. ignore that. Um, you earn a certain amount of money, mm-hmm. um, and your services are lent out. So the studio, in the old days, before the corporation, yeah. your services were provided to the studio. You worked for the studio. Now you work for your own loan out corporation. So it, it's your corporation, your corporation lends out your services to the studio, and that's why they call it a loan-out corporation. So for all intents and purposes, that then that corporation has vendors like acting coaches and everything else like you're saying, but you technically are the only employee. And that's what now the entertainment industry is starting to see with this gig economy and what they call the AB5 ruling, where we're, you know, the industry is wondering, how will that affect people that have their own loan-out corporations? Are you really a gig person? Mm-hmm. Is, the, is the studio employing you? And therefore, our, is the government going to say, no, you can no longer have a corporation? Well, the unions are saying, yes, you will have a corporation because you are an employee of your own corporation. You're not an employee of the studios. Therefore, you don't have to worry about this independent contractor versus employee consideration. And that's a whole different, that's either a discussion we can continue on. Well, tell but, me, talk to me about what is AB5? AB5 is a recent ruling going back to April of last year where um, they now went into effect, which basically now defines the role of an independent contractor versus employee in California. And one of the main reasons they set up this whole AB5 was the assembly bill, five for the state of California, is because of Uber and Lyft. Uber and Lyft drivers are traditionally independent. Well, the government in California says, no, they're not independent. They're really employees of Uber and Lyft, and therefore they should be paid as employees. Well, a lot of the Uber and Lyft drivers feel they don't want to be paid as employees and therefore earn a W-2 and mm-hmm. have withholdings they, and, and get employment taxes paid on their behalf and unemployment taxes paid on their behalf. They say, we want to be independent. We want to write off our expenses. So unfortunately, this was a major step in California because let's, I'll use an example of the entertainment industry. I have a lot of producers or directors that make their own little LLCs and they hire crew. For instance, a sound person who may impale themselves on something. So under those circumstances, they traditionally, if that sound person had their own corporation, they would pay them through the corporation. Or they would say, I'll pay you as an independent contractor and give you a 1099. So that allowed that sound person to go ahead and write off expenses. The law basically says no. Now it's no longer a gray area, it's very black and white. If you, and for all intents and purposes, if you have control over the responsibilities of people working for you, and control meaning what time they work and what they're actually going to do, especially if they're in the same line of work of you, you must treat them as an employee. 
Therefore, now you're paying their Social Security and Medicare tax, you're paying unemployment taxes, and they're entitled to unemployment once their job is done, even if they work for two or three hours, let alone two or three weeks. So there no longer is a gray area in California, and it's very, very dramatic, and it's mm. prolific because now a lot of clients are coming to me and saying, what do I do? I say, you need to treat them as employees. I'll give a quick example. Sure. If I, even though I'm a business manager, technically I'm in the business of preparing tax returns as well. If I were to hire a CPA who has his own corporation mm -hmm. to come into my office and do help out during the tax season for per diem work, the law now says it doesn't matter if he has his own corporation. I'm in the business of preparing tax returns. He's in the business of preparing tax returns. Therefore, I must pay him as or her as an employee and a W-2. However, if, again, on the other side, if I hire my IT guy to come and help with computer problems that we have, since we're in, not in the same industry, even though I have to ask him to come in immediately because we have a problem, I can still pay his own corporation. So it really boils down to the type of responsibilities for the people that you're hiring being the same in the mm -hmm. same industry, or the fact that I have complete and utter control over what they do and when they do it. But SAG-AFTRA is saying, even though studios are in the business of hiring actors, we are going to stand up for your corporations. Precisely, okay. that's exactly right. Because they're saying, you are an employee of your corporation, you are not an independent contractor per se. Yeah. But the studios are gonna say, well, you know what? We're in the business of making movies. We're hiring a director who's in the business of making movies. Mm -hmm. So we can't pay the loan out anymore. We've got to pay them as an individual. More the guilds, the writer guild, the writer, the Writers Guild of America, even as a representing the interest of the other guilds, is basically saying, you know what? Not true, because the typical writer is not working within a studio. They work independently. Yeah. And why should they be included? Well, all the entertainment lawyers are saying that's true and it should transcend not only to writers, it should transcend to directors, producers, cinematographers, editors, and the like. And that's why they're, and especially actors and actresses, people who work in front of the camera. So it shouldn't have any effect on those working in front of or behind the camera. Everybody's above the line talent and therefore they should always be included. Because traditionally above the line talent, such as yourself, a director, a writer, a producer, a cinematographer, an editor, they are paid in a different structure than those who are below the line, which are more along the lines of traditional crew. Sure. You know, I want to go back for one second. I have more corporation questions, mm -hmm. but you mentioned unemployment insurance, and I feel like that is something that actors without corporations don't know enough about. Yeah. How can actors use unemployment insurance to help uh, pay their bills and buoy themselves in uh, tough times? That's a great question. Let's look at it from a standpoint of not having a corporation. Okay. When one is no longer working, don't worry about, let's take residuals, for instance, and royalty payments out of it as well. The Unemployment Development Department, the EDD, the Employment Development Department of California, wants to know what actors and actresses are making. And they could verify what they're making based on um, certain reports that are filed on a quarterly basis. And they look back over a span of a year to determine what type of a qualification you'll have for unemployment. So when you're employed by the studios and you're no longer employed, what's most important is that you can apply for unemployment if you are physically not working. Mm 
You have no control over collecting royalties and residuals because it's, you know, it's like you, you experience that. Mm-hmm. It's waking up January 1st and saying, listen, I know I'm going to make some money this year because of previous work I have done, but physically I'm not working right now. Yeah. And that's important for me to collect my maximum of $450 a week from an employment. When it comes to having a corporation, I always assist clients in understanding the way unemployment will work. In the old days, a lot of people who had corps would work and still collect unemployment. The reason why is because the state of California never understood when employees that had loan out corporations were actually working and not working. In other words, as money comes into your corporation, Mm -hmm. if you don't pay yourself a wage, you can just draw money from your corporation and live. But technically, you're not working. Physically, you're working, but you're not working because you're not paying yourself. Therefore, clients were collecting unemployment when they were physically working. So who are they calling in this instance the employer? Because the way I remember this working is, let's say I do a commercial, I make a good amount of money on it, the commercial ends, it's Mm -hmm. run, so the residuals aren't coming in anymore, the session fee is over, and then I could say this was my, you know, employer, uh, that job is over, I can now collect. But the amount that I'd collect was based off of how much I, the individual, had made over the last year. That's correct. But when it's in a corporation, I I am only paid through the corporation. That's right. So I don't have this excess of other funds and employers who have paid me. So can people in corporations still collect unemployment? Yes, they can. A very good question. Well, and I feel like I should have learned no, this a while and, ago. And, and there's two ways of doing it. Usually, <laughs> many clients I have that have homes, they have children in private school, or they have families, what we'll do on a monthly basis is I'll say to a client, if 80% of your life is going to be run through the corporation, which is great, what about the 20% that's not? Mm-hmm. What about your groceries? What about school and education, your sundries, and all those other little things that the corporation is not paying for. Can't forget the sundries. Can't forget the sundries. And those are very important. In fact, you even have a sign that says sundries in some of the old um, (laughs) uh, drugstores, like uh, Thrifty and Savons back in the old days. And I remember seeing those signs. But what I always say to clients is, how much do you need on a monthly basis to live? And they'll say, Steve, I need $5,000 a month. So what I will do as money comes into their corporation I will assign a wage to them where they will net 5000 a month to pay their regular traditional living expenses outside of what the corp is paying for. But they're also working. But I have other clients who also say, okay, guess what? My production ended. I'm on hiatus for the next six months. I say, let's stop paying you right now from your corporation because no money's coming into the corp again. And therefore, you've been paid a wage through your corporation where you've been paying unemployment insurance as well because you are working for your corporation. That is who your employer is. So just to draw a distinction, the corporation's bank account might still be getting money. Yes. But the corporation's bank account is not paying out to the actor. That's correct. And when that stops, when money stops coming into the corporate bank account, that's when I say to clients, it's time to go on unemployment. Apply for unemployment, and the Employment Development Department will call you through an interview process, and they will say, are you physically working? You'll say, no, I'm on hiatus. Mm -hmm. And once they can, they're usually fine with that, then they will start paying you unemployment. Then I'll have clients who say, my job starts up next week. 
I'll start getting paid. Please resume payroll in the next two weeks. Then once we resume payroll, they will then inform unemployment that they're no longer eligible for unemployment. They're now working. That's the perfect scenario of having your own loan-out corporation where you're entitled to unemployment because you're physically not working. Once you physically start working again, then you go off of unemployment. In the old days, people were taking their corporations. Money was coming into the corporation all the time. They were not paying themselves a wage, and they were saying, I'm unemployed. But they really weren't. So the state said, we're losing a fortune. Not only Amazon is, is, is not charging <laughs> sales tax, but we're paying unemployment to people that don't qualify. So the state, about 10 years ago, finally said, from now on, we want an attestation from people who have loan-out corporations in the entertainment industry to verify they are physically not working. And that's all I say to a client. Even George Clooney in his day was entitled to unemployment when he wasn't working. I don't know if his business manager went as so far to put him on unemployment under those circumstances. I don't know if George was needing that 450 a week. <laughs> Probably not. But in theory, he was entitled to it because he did pay. He paid his the tax. Un- he yeah. paid the tax. Absolutely. That's the thing. Or anybody who's raising their eyes, eyebrows right now in unemployment, you are paying that tax for yourself. So yeah. the only person that you're screwing out of that money is yourself. Absolutely. You're entitled to it. Take advantage of it. And I do have clients who actually do need that money. Like we go back to our conversation where there are clients that are not making you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Very few people can be Leonardo DiCaprio and Angelina Jolie. Very few people can ever attain that level of income where you're making that kind of money. The average SAG. And it's consistent. And consistent. That's absolutely. That's the magic of those There's no two. question. And the, and the points that they get. Mm-hmm. You know, look at the people that own points on, on Seinfeld and Raymond and all those shows. That's the reason that Jerry Seinfeld hasn't worked again. <laughs> and perhaps he made a half a billion dollars, yep. you know, on a show he didn't even want to do. Yep. You know, and Larry David said, oh, come on, this is absurd. You know, I don't, I have no interest in this. Well, it was a, it was a wise choice in the end, but it's the way the world worked and the way the world still works for a yeah. large portion. So going back to corporations, you were saying that it only has one employee. Why can't, for example, my corporation take on other actors? It can actually. You can employ other actors, but loan out corporations are traditionally designed to be owned by one individual. That's the way they prefer it to be because it makes it a little easier. Keep in mind, if you employ other actors through your corporation and you are going to put away money for retirement, the law says if they work over a thousand hours a year, mm-hmm. you've got to put away for their retirement too. So that's the way these law, the laws are are created to protect employees, and that's why a lot of times we'll say to uh, uh, people such as yourself who are going to hire an assistant yeah. or any domestic, you know, there's there's a fine line one crosses. Domestics should never be paid on the corporation because you're exposing they're exposing you to liability. Uh, a lot of clients say, well, can I, can I write off my nanny on my corporation? I said, no, actually not. That's way too aggressive. Number one, it's fraud. And number two, if you pay your nanny on your corporation, your nanny's going to say, guess what? You fired me. I want unemployment. Uh, you're paying towards a, per, uh, a, uh, a pension contribution. You have to pay it for me as well. I need workers' comp insurance. All these little things add up, and they're exposed. They used to be under the table a lot of times, Mm -hmm. but no longer, really. Now the entertainment industry is really under a lot of exposure. Well, what about having other people who you were saying, like, my wife's a neuromuscular massage therapist. Mm -hmm. 
can I have her under the corporation? Good question. Traditionally not. I do have instances where spouses use a common loan out, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because they're in the industry together. So the com- there's really more commonality when it comes to the expenses, and therefore it's easy for us to ascertain exactly what level of income or salaries to assign at the end of the year because we know what their gross revenues are, and they're filing jointly. But if your wife is, a, for instance, a doctor and you're an actor, I would never suggest using a common loan out under those circumstances because the loan out is designed for the entertainment industry whereas if she's a doctor the uh, um, legal structure of a medical corporation is usually set up differently and there's under different exposure as well so that's something you wouldn't want to and the thought is that the the state is eventually going to figure that out and precisely these deductions you're taking or the way that you're doing this absolutely exactly a a medical doctor's deductions are going to be different from an actor's deductions, so to speak yeah but when it comes to a common I have, I have uh, clients who are co-producers, they're co-editors, and they're married. Then it's 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 easier to consider a common that makes loan. Sense. So um, someone should start their corporation. If they're getting near that six-figure mark, it's going to help you save a lot on taxes, assuming especially if they don't change the law back in a couple of years. And it's possible. Crossed. You know, a new administration can come in, and all of a sudden, they'll allow for employee business expenses that they, they discontinued. More than likely, it's not going to change anytime soon. Um, so yeah, that's a reason to get incorporated. <clears throat> um, if people want to get incorporated, what is that process? How much does it cost? How do you do it? Generally what happens, we have an incorporator who doesn't want to go after money. They don't want to go and deal with our clients. So they say, we'll tell you what, we'll charge you a flat fee of about $3,300. We'll take care of everything. You outlay the money and then you go collect it from your client because you have the relationship. Mm-hmm. That's generally the way we work. When it comes to setting up with LegalZoom, for instance, it can you can do it for as little as I think three to $700, depending on what type of a corporation you're setting up and what services you want them to provide. For instance, if you want them to do an SLA for you, uh, that is to make. What your does cor- that mean? An S, an S. It's a good question. You, for instance, have an S corporation. Every corporation that's established is a C corporation, mm-hmm. which means it's what we call a standalone corporation. Then an election's made through the IRS that basically says you now want to be treated in as an S. Uh, corporation, which basically means that the income from the corporation creates a tax document called a K-1 that determines what your personal income is going to be. It's called a flow-through entity. It's very similar to an LLC and very similar to a partnership. Uh, An LLC that's owned by one person is treated a little differently. It's treated as a Schedule C, and we don't have to get into that too much because it's not really applicable to people in the entertainment industry. But the S Corporation is the most popular entity structure that exists for people in the entertainment industry at this point. I still have a lot of clients who have traditional C Corporations. And in the old days, if you worked behind the camera, you were traditionally a C Corporation. If you work in front of the camera, you are traditionally an S corporation. Hmm. And the main reason why is because of foreign jurisdictions. People who work in the entertainment industry as an actor in front of the camera traditionally would work more than someone behind the camera in um, a foreign jurisdiction. Let's say Canada, for instance. Canada requires by statute that if you work in Canada as an actor, 23% has to come off the top of the money you make and pay to the Canadian government. That 23%, let's say, for instance, it's 
$100,000. So $23,000 goes to Canada. You now get a credit against your own U.S. taxes for that $23,000. It's a dollar-for-dollar credit. And that traditionally was more applicable to people who worked in front of the camera. I have a lot of clients who work in Canada who are behind the scenes. I have a lot of cinematographers, a lot of directors. So Canada says if you work in front of the camera, you must have 23% withholdings. Canada also says if you work behind the camera, you can get a waiver. And it's only 15%. And you have to apply for the waiver. So in the old days, applying for the waiver, you didn't need that S corporation because you weren't paying any tax. Well, nowadays, it's just easier to make everybody an S corporation. One of the main reasons is because you have a December year end, which Mm -hmm. is more traditional, as opposed to a client who has a January through a November year end. It's called a fiscal year. So at this point, especially in Canada and in the UK, they are withholding taxes for people who work even behind the cameras. So therefore, it's more necessary than ever to even have an S corporation for that talent that works behind the camera. You're seeing that more in Europe as opposed to Canada. Canada still accommodates those who work behind the camera if you apply for this waiver process, which we do for clients as well. But a lot of times, it's just become more confusing. So that's one of the main reasons why the S corporation is king right now for people in the entertainment industry, no matter if you're in front of the camera or behind. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Um, We'll find out what everyone else thinks. That's right. so, question, um, you know, tax time isn't that far away. Mm-hmm. How do you wish, what do you wish people would know about tax preparation time in terms of the best way to either um, help out their CPAs or to save themselves the most money? What do you wish people would know? What do you wish people would do? A good question. Whenever I get a new client, and I'm very fortunate, our growth has been substantial. Whenever we get a new client, I provide them with a narrative, which explains the overall incorporation process. It explains every little aspect of the corporation. I like to be completely transparent with clients. It also incorporates my fee structure, so they know exactly what they're getting and what they're paying for. Mm -hmm. But moreover, when the corporation is set up, I then go over with them exactly what I expect from them. What we like on a monthly basis, this is assuming we're not handling their day-to-day business management, but for an accounting-based client. What I like to get from them on a monthly basis is copies of their check stubs for checks they've written. I ask them to use a particular or a separate credit card just for business purposes, so it's easier for us to track all those expenses. I want to get copies of their pay stubs from production because when the pay stubs go from production to the agency and then the agency takes out their 10% and the manager's 10% and the and the uh, uh, entertainment lawyer's 5%, the talent is then the client's getting 75 cents or 75%. I want to know what the pay stub from production is so we can account for all of those gross as well as any meal penalties and all those other ins and outs. Also, moreover, if there's any withholdings for taxes, for instance, state taxes are withheld or if there's any foreign taxes withheld. All these items I like to get, we archive, so when we do the accounting, we're very accurate. If clients bank, for instance, with City National Bank, 
which I have a very large umbrella with, we will actually handle their deposits for them at no charge. So we will ask the agencies or through the clients to send their checks directly to us. Mm-hmm. The bank actually provides us with teller capabilities here. We have a micker reader. Mm-hmm. So we have a deposit desk that we deposit hundreds of checks for clients on a daily basis. That also gives us the ability to see those pay stubs sure. and we can be more accurate. So it's just training clients as they become clients on what to give us. So we can do accounting at will, we can be accurate, and we can very be, and be very accurate when it comes to projecting their taxes as well. I don't like to hit a client in late December and let them know what they owe in tax. Many clients go through the process of buying homes mm-hmm. or thinking of buying homes, and when they go through that process, the banks wanna see updated financial statements. So when I update financial statements, I let clients know where they stand for taxes as well. A general rule of thumb I use is roughly 35% of their profit should be considered tax. So if they have $100,000 of profit, I generally say you should estimate roughly 35,000 should be reserved for tax. If you look at the bank account and they've got 100,000 in cash, great, we know that there's they have money preserved at that point. If they have only got $10,000 of cash, I let them know you've got a deficit, so you've got some things to consider. Absolutely. If people don't have a corporation, any pieces of advice for their tax preparation? It's a good question. Um, More than likely, I like to see the first two pay stubs so I can do a projection for them and see where they stand. Sure. I let them know that it's important that they look at their stubs, see what's being withheld, because if you do a very short-term gig, what's going to happen is they're going to withhold maybe 10 to 12%. If you do enough of those, at the end of the year, you've made $150,000, but you've averaged only 10 to 12% withholdings. What's important is that it gets to the point where as you start to earn more money later in the year, you let their payroll people know that they should withhold a little more, otherwise you're gonna be in a position of owing tax. Mm-hmm. And that's where it becomes a little tricky in many cases. We already know they can't write off any expenses. Even though the standard deduction has increased, it doesn't necessarily accommodate the fact that they're making better money and they don't have a corporation. Gotcha. And that's important. Um, well, we are just about at time. I did want to ask, um, I don't know if there's a good answer to this, but do you have, I mean, you've been doing this for a little while. You've got a lot of uh, well-known clients. Um, some of this had people for you know a very long time. Uh, do you have any just ridiculous stories of something like out of uncut gems where someone is leveraging like their house to get some black opal that they're then going to you know bet all of it on the Celtics and Kevin it's, Garnett? It's a very good question. I had a very years ago I dealt with uh, who was an extraordinarily popular singer whose life was centered around buying beads. 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 And basically owed the IRS in excess of a million dollars. Oh, my God. And we went through an offer and compromise. An offer and compromise basically says to the IRS, I need, you know, we need to settle up here. I owe you a million dollars, and I don't have it. And the IRS basically says, you know what? If you were 85 years old and sick, we'd settle for $1,000. But the fact you're 40 and you've got an entire career ahead of you, and you wanted to buy beads? The answer is no. Start singing again and figure this out. But there's a lot of uh, amusing anecdotes um, that I've seen throughout the years. And I admit, uh, 
in many cases, I don't think I'd want to change places with a lot of clients. They work very hard. There's a lot of success. But deep inside, when they come into the office, they're here for a reason. They're not here to share their Emmys, their Oscars, or anything else. They're here to talk about some situations or problems that they're having. Are you trying and, to tell me something right now? Oh, no. <laughs> You're in good shape. I don't have to worry about that. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, if they have questions about corporations, if they have follow-up questions from this podcast, uh, what is the best way to get in touch with you? Absolutely. They can email me um, or our numbers, uh, Summit Business Management, area code 818-981-3115. I always tell clients I don't charge for phone calls, I don't charge for emails, and I don't charge for meetings. So... It's great free so advice. Don't text. Don't <laughs> those get and charged. try not to text because I admit my phone is usually put away during the daytime. But uh, as I told you, Brian, earlier, once I sit down at my desk, I never leave the office. I never go to lunch. I'm here, and then when I go home, I have the identical setup at home with the identical phone, and I work in the evenings and I work on the weekends. And it's I'm just we'll take a break I'm, at some point. I do it once, once a it. year. My daughter, who's 12 years old, her name is Ava. Ava Shapiro. She's at Lindero Middle School, and she's very proud to be in. Uh, band. Her teacher is Matthew McKagan, who is Duff McKagan of Guns N' Roses' wow. brother. He's been with the school for 30 years, and uh, she just had her chair test, and we're waiting for results, so we'll know where she's going to sit, but she's also playing baris- baritone saxophone, and she did ask me if I can give her a shout-out, so I want to say hi to Abe and all of hi her friends Ava. at uh, Lindero Middle School, Fantastic. and uh, she's, she's a real happy young lady well and thank you everything's for good that. i appreciate it and, <laughs> and thanks thank for letting for me uh, mention her name including um, her mom beverly oh of course and uh, we will put all the information for summit in the show notes as well so if anybody didn't catch that phone number just take a look at the show notes and uh we uh we will be back next week with a new episode thank you so much Stephen. pleasure thank you brian Thank you to Stephen Shapiro at Summit Business Management, and thank you to our sponsors, Horrible Haikus, and presenting sponsor, John Rosenfeld Studios. If you enjoyed the episode, if you learned anything, please give us a sweet review on iTunes or Spotify. Share the podcast with a friend. It really helps, and boy, does it touch my heart when I see someone has uh, taken the time to write a review or, or send something on uh, on Instagram. It really means the world. So thank you to anyone who's feeling those good vibes and wants to help us out. We'll be back next week with another new show, episode 31. Until then, 